Welcome to the Healthy Body, Healthy Mind podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kinghorn, co-founder and CEO of HBHM. We're a carbon neutral wellness brand and we're focused on the well-being of our customers and the planet. We produce a range of products designed to support a healthy lifestyle. This podcast is for our community. We'll have a range of experts in the health, fitness and wellness space designed to help you all improve many aspects of your life. For listening to this podcast, you can get 15% off our products at hbhm.com by using the code hbhmpod at checkout. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Healthy Body, Healthy Mind podcast. We are here at the National Running Show in Birmingham, so bear with me if my voice goes during the course of this. I've been talking all day. Um, Today we are joined by an incredible runner over a variety of distances, who amongst many things is a three times Olympian, Commonwealth Games champion, a British and European record holder, European medalist, and so much more this intro could probably go on all day. Of course, it is the awesome Ailish McColgan. So welcome to the HBHM podcast, Ailish. How are you doing today? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, it's been a while. We've been trying to coordinate our <laughs> schedules for a long time. So um, yeah, it's nice to make it awesome happen. Awesome to have you in person as well. We are in person. Last time we tried to do it, it was online <laughs> and Wi-Fi wasn't playing ball. So it's good that, it's good that, that happened because at least now we can yeah, actually do it in person. in person. So I suppose there's many places that I could start and we could go right the way back. We could you know go recent, but I think it probably is worth starting with last year. So we're now in 2023. Yep. 2022, best year of your career? Um, Yeah, I think it's safe to say 2022 was pretty special. Um, it had its challenges. Like I still had a lot of um, tough periods with COVID and then laryngitis and then an injury. Like it's been, I think that's just what every athlete goes through. But I think it makes those sort of key moments and the, the good moments of the year um, like the Commonwealth Games, just stand out that little bit more special. And um, yeah, I think there's not much more I could have asked for for out of the entire year. Yeah, so I know there's, there was quite a lot last year, but in summary, Commonwealth Games, gold, mm-hmm. silver, European, silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? <laughs> <laughs> uh, last I year there was another, world records. A in, European in... European bronze as well so I had yeah I had four medals within the space of like 15 days which I'm really proud of because we knew it was going to be really tough going from a sort of Covid year everything had been crammed together the following year so we had world championships Commonwealth Games and Europeans back to back essentially Mm -hmm. so it was always going to be a tough challenge taking on all three and um, I found the world champs very difficult I had had laryngitis and then an injury and so I didn't quite perform the way I wanted to so to bounce back for Commonwealth and into Europeans that was the toughest sort of um yeah 15 days I think I've ever done of competition but I'm really proud of that I'd only had a European outdoor and European indoor medal before that year so to then end the year with another four additional medals was pretty special but even off the track I'm also pretty proud of just yeah the way I raced over the roads as well for me that was a big breakthrough. Um, I had a British record for 5k, a European and British record for 10k uh, and a British record for the half marathon. And so it's something that I felt like I was pretty consistent from coming back from that illness and still being able to perform to the level I did. I think it's been, I set the British record for the half, sorry, back in February. So to go okay. right the way through to I think I finished my season in October. It was, yeah. it was a long, a long few months. But um, yeah, I'm proud of those achievements. And within, within that, you had things like Big Half, which mm-hmm. was a course record as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Big Half course record um, in the well, Commonwealth Games. We've got to talk about that. I was there that night. Yeah. Um, actually sitting next to Michael, <laughs> uh, which was pretty cool. And, you know, seeing on that, like 200 to go yeah. when you were behind, like... Honestly, like as much as I got belief in you, it was like, oh my god, she's lost it, you know. Yeah. But to get that back, was it like what was it? What what got you through it? Honestly, it's hard to put into words what the Commonwealth that evening at the Commonwealth Games was like because 
it was just far beyond my wildest expectations, the noise in the stadium. Mm. I've just never experienced anything like it. The only time I've ever heard that was when uh, my first Olympic Games, when I watched Mo Farah and Jess Ennis and Greg at Super yeah. Saturday. And I remember being in the stadium that night and thinking, this is just mad. Yeah. Like people were going crazy, swinging their tops off. <laughs> and like, it was just, I've never seen anything like it or heard anything like it. Um, so then for me, it, it was like I got like my small little slice of that. Yeah. Like it was my experience of the crowd just going nuts and it being a British crowd and knowing that, yeah, my family were there, my friends were in the stands. Like it was just a really strange, surreal experience. Um, and even when we came out the stadium to the, get in the start line, it was so loud. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking, God, the 10K is a long way. Like <laughs> 25 laps is a long time for people to keep cheering for 30 odd minutes. But they did. It, uh, like it, it every, just got louder and it louder. It did. And every lap, it it built up. And it was just, I can't explain the noise. If you weren't there, it's really difficult yeah. to try and explain how loud it was. Um, but yeah, I think when I, hit, obviously I, I was at the front for the majority of it because I took the race on and I uh, pace, obviously was like a pacer essentially. Yeah. And I think a lot of people probably like yourself assumed that um, even me at one point I went through halfway and I thought oh like have I gone too hard here I don't feel good but that's what happens in a race you yeah. sort of get waves of confidence and then maybe that sort of little um, voice in your head that thinks oh you're tired you know, your legs are tired you've got another half like another 12 laps uh, 6 laps to go whatever 12 laps to go so it's it's those sort of things but I think the crowd just completely removed all that doubt yeah. for me I got to I remember getting to like the last kilometre and just feeling so strong and thinking right I'm still here I'm winning a medal no matter what yeah. I'm winning a medal but the excitement just brought me through when I think the crowd I just really fed off of that and when I got to that last lap I remember just thinking I want to win this and it's weird I went into the race thinking I just want to win a medal yeah. but yet going into that last lap I decided no I'm going to win this and it's strange how that mindset can change just purely from the energy of everyone else yeah. Um, but yeah the last like 200 metres are just a total blur and I, I remember just feeling like almost like vibrations going through my body as well the noise of it I didn't feel tired I didn't yeah. feel anything other than this this buzz um, it was just a yeah a pretty incredible evening pure, ad- pure that, adrenaline yeah and even afterwards like usually I'd be on the ground and be tired, but you're just so excited by it. Mm. I wanted, I just couldn't wait to see my mum and see Michael and see my dad. And like, it was just the fact that everyone was there as well yeah. to be there for that moment was what made it, yeah, really, really special. And then, and something that I'll remember for, yeah, for the rest of my career. Yeah, it was an unbelievable night. And, and by the way, Michael always had faith. Michael knew you were going to do it, but no, it was, it was an amazing night. And, it actually, you know, I was really chuffed to have been there as well because, you know, we came down, we wanted to support you. Um, you. And then for you to, to get that gold medal was just unbelievable. So yeah. uh, congratulations again. And hopefully we get some <laughs> um, good times this year as well. So, well, let's bring it back a wee bit then because you have had quite a long career and it was a mm-hmm. career that started obviously um, with a family history in the sport as well. Yeah. So, you know, taking take it right back, what you know, what was the early years of getting into it? Was it immediately because your mum was a runner that you just automatically got into it or did it not quite look like that? How did it sort of look early years? Yeah, I was always very active. I loved running. I loved just doing sport in general. Um, so my PE teacher put me into, like, the local cross-country. I must have been around primary six, maybe. And... Um, just because my second name was McCoggan, she was like, right, you'll do, you'll go and do the cross country. Um, you'll be fast. And I just loved it. I mean, I didn't win that day. I can't remember what position I came. I was definitely down the field, but I just loved being outside and like the cold, the wet, the mud. Um, it was like the local county cross country championships. And from there, the local club, um, which to me was Dundee Hockle Harriers, they like scouted the mm. top sort of 10 kids or something. But when you're little, like being scouted sounds like a big <laughs> yeah. deal. Do you know I mean? you think you're like really special? So I remember like running to my mom and dad and be like, "Oh my god, I've been scouted to go along to the Dundee Hockley Harriers. I really want to go." And my mom and dad were just very hesitant. I think they just wanted me to make my own decision, and mm-hmm. not just because they were runners that yeah. I was going to be a runner. Um, so I had to do yeah a lot of persuasion. Me and me and my wee pal Ian, 
uh, we just begged my mum and dad to take us along to the club. And my mum had said something like, do you know what, if you go along and you really enjoy it and you stick at it for whatever it was, X amount of months, then I'll coach you. Because at that time there wasn't really like a, a sort of running coach we had or a distance running coach, mm-hmm. essentially. There was... Um, it's, it's just parents volunteering. That's yeah. that's what the majority of local clubs are. So, um, yeah, I went down. I loved it. I was doing high jump and javelin. My first medal actually came from Scottish schools and javelin. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I loved all the different events. I honestly tried everything. But for me, the 800 metres at the time was the longest I could do, um, two laps of the track. And I just, that for me was like the one I just enjoyed the most mm. or I felt like I was better at. Um, and it just went from there. Yeah, my mum, I just said to my mum after, it must have been maybe a year or so, I decided, right, I want to really focus on the longer stuff. And um, yeah, my mum got involved with the club, volunteering her time, and she just built up a huge group. We had mm-hmm. a massive group of um, kids that were super talented, yeah, from all the sort of distance events right the way through all ages. And um, it became like my second family, to be honest, the Dundee Hockley Harriers. And that's a huge part, to be honest, of why I'm still here today was the club system and yeah. the way that the club get you involved and the social side of it and the people you meet and the friends you make there. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people think it's a foregone conclusion that I would just be a runner. Yeah. And um, my I've got three brothers and a sister and, and none of them yeah. run competitively. I mean, they like to keep fit. Um, two of them like to run and keep fit and active, but the other two hate it. Like they think we're just absolutely crazy yeah they just don't understand it at all so um it just shows that just because your mom and dad run doesn't mean that you have to do it or you have Mm. to enjoy it I don't know what it was about it I just for me it was always something that I really really loved I tried other sports I went swimming um I played badminton down the local leisure center we lived on a golf course I even played my dad had me out playing golf sometimes but running was just what I loved Mm. I remember going to swimming and they said we had to start getting up in the mornings uh, before school and I was like nope <laughs> that's me I'm out <laughs> scrap that I was like when's the athletics club evening that'll do and even I'll to this day it. you're not a fan I'll of early mornings are you? absolutely yeah. not so there's no way I was ever becoming a swimmer or a, a triathlete for me evenings are I'm certainly more of a night owl yeah. um, but yeah it was just it, I don't know it's hard to explain it was just something I loved it was running it was the one that made me feel free and cleared my mind and like was an escape for me even from a very young age it was always going to be running. Yeah. And see, like, I'm going to pick up on that, like, escape, because many people, like myself included, you know, mm. not anywhere near the athlete you are, but run for, you know, yes, physical reasons, but mental reasons as well, because mm. you go out, clear the head. Um, but I've always been intrigued because because you're an elite athlete and it's effectively your job, do you still get that mental, like, health benefits of running as well? Or is it not quite like that now? Yeah, I think for a lot of professional athletes, they can get a little bit, mixed between the two because sometimes running can become the stressor mm-hmm. rather than it becoming the sort of relaxation that yeah. it normally is just because it is a job and everything that you do within that running is bound by I suppose how much you earn is by your running yeah. if you're injured like whatever it is it's all like everything comes down to how well are you performing all the time so I can see how certain athletes find that uh difficult and a challenge to sort of separate the two of right this is my sort of mental time my mental release time but luckily for me I haven't found that that running has become a stressor in my life it's definitely still remained to be uh that sort of clear clear my thoughts clear my mind especially if I've got a lot on even just fitting in something short it just yeah does allow me to just reset yeah it, it does and I notice the difference of when I haven't been able to do that um, I haven't been able to go for a run. I think the only time I feel relaxed not having run is when I have like time off at the end of season and I take my mm-hmm. holiday, my break. But even then, some days I'm like, I just want to go and yeah. do something just to... I think it's because it becomes your natural go-to when you do just want to chill out. It's like you want to just do something. It's not always about pushing hard or doing hard sessions or anything. Like I get a boost from that as well. I definitely get a rush of endorphins when you work out really hard or you mm-hmm. push yourself. But equally, I get the same sort of release just going for an easy 30-minute jog. Even that is enough to just clear my mind. So I suppose back to that journey, I suppose it's not been plain sailing all the way through mm-hmm. your career you know you had 
you start in a steeplechase, you've had injuries, yeah. you've, you know, so how have you kind of kept yourself motivated and overcome some of these things over the years? Yeah, I think for me, running was never, I never thought running would be a job. Mm-hmm. It was just a hobby of something I like to do. Um, and then in 2011, I had an idea that I wanted to try and make the Olympic Games. It was in London. It was, it was far out above like the level of competition I'd been competing at. Mm-hmm. But I just ha- I just got it into my head that I wanted to go to the Olympic Games. Yeah. Um, and my friends all thought I was crazy because I was out partying and drinking and eating kebabs at 4am in the morning. They were thinking, how, how are you going to make this transition yeah. to be like a proper athlete? Um, but I did it. But I obviously did it in such a quick time frame that with that came quite a serious injury, my first big injury that I'd ever had. And I completely shattered my navicular bone in my left foot um, so I had to have surgery and five screws and a metal plate. Um, and at the time, I didn't know. The doctor told me I would actually never run again. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he said I would run, but not competitively. It, competitively. Yeah. I could hobby jog, I think he called it. And I about, obviously, I was devastated when he came out with that. Um, <laughs> so not I just fairy, cried, not I just, like I just cried my eyes out. And I remember him looking at me thinking, what is wrong with this girl? But he didn't realise what running meant to me. Yeah. He had no idea. He was just a, a doctor in the hospital. Um, not a sports doctor or anything. And um, he also didn't tell me that the metal plate in my foot was a prototype. So I didn't know this <laughs> yeah, until further, down, know further down the line. Um, but yeah, it was one of the first in the world. They got they, It was come from America for some strange reason. And um, it was just the way I totally damaged the foot. Um, they had to cap it. So the the screws, usually one screw is enough. I had to have five and this plate. Um, and that was tough. I think I'd gone from thinking I'd made really big improvements and I'd ran qualifying times for the, the Olympic Games for the upcoming World Championships as well. And I thought, great, like it's just going to go like this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to straight line to, to getting faster and fitter and better. I'm going to make these teams. And then all of a sudden here I'm being told you're not going to run again. Um, I was on crutches for ages, then they reshaped my foot and I had to learn how to sort of walk and then eventually get back running. But in all honesty, when I look back now, it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because it made me so determined that I was still going to follow that path. Like, I don't know, I just became even more sort of, yeah, just more motivated than ever before that it was going to happen. It was weird. I had this absolute belief in myself that I was going to go to the Olympic yeah. Games. Um, I, I actually went along to one of my first ever sponsors was um, Mackey's Jam. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they're local to me. And uh, I emailed them and I said, I'm, I want to go to the Olympic Games. And he was like, come along and have a meeting. And I thought, mm-hmm. God, I can't believe it. He just said yes to a meeting. So I go in there in my crutches and a massive <laughs> moon boot. And this is like 2000 and must be the start of 2012. Uh, and I said to he obviously was shocked when I come in and crutches and I'm asking for a sponsorship and saying I'm going to make the Olympic Games. And he just thought I was absolutely nuts. Um, and I told him, I said, I think I can do it. And he, he said, fine, let's let's do this. Yeah. So he was the first person to ever sponsor me. And even just that, like having that little bit of someone else's belief, like my mum believed in me, my yeah. dad believed in me, but having Some this stranger, yeah. yeah, and he fully believed in my journey. And it wasn't like, it wasn't a huge amount of money, yeah. but it was just something that gave me this little bit. It did, it really pepped me up and I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this team because these people believe in me as mm-hmm. well. Um. So when I look back now, it's just, it was such a crazy set of circumstances that all led to that. But I feel like it was fate in the end because it certainly made me into the athlete I am today. Like I don't feel, when I stand on the start line now, I just know I've had so many challenges to get to that point. It's like you make the most of that opportunity. Mm. I think that's why sometimes it is difficult when things don't go well again, because you think, God, I've overcome all of this. So when it is a small issue and stuff, you think... I've been in far worse positions than this, but something like an illness or something last yeah. minute is just uh, scuppered and you've had a bad race and you think, oh, it's such a small thing. Yeah. I mean, I've had such bigger problems than this and I've overcome them. Um, but at the same time, it's definitely made me into a far stronger athlete now than I ever was. And I don't think, to be honest, I'd be where I am today 
if I hadn't had those setbacks yeah. earlier in my career because I wasn't at the level to compete at world level and, and Olympic champ, uh, Olympic um, championships, but yet Olympic Games. But yet I think that injury, I just became so set and dogged minded on... I was in the pool every day aqua jogging and I was on the, the walk bike and I was just doing everything I could to mm. um, to get to where I wanted to go. It wasn't I wasn't able to run, I was going to do something else yeah. to get there. Um, so yeah, it's been a definitely a lot of challenges along the way. Another a surgery in 2015 on the same foot for another two screws in there. Um, and that's why I made the switch from steeplechase, unfortunately. That was a forced... I forced switch because I just, I couldn't, I had so much pain in that foot, even after the surgery, jumping just was out of the question. So I remember I wrote down on a bit of paper and I stuck it on uh, our living room wall, uh, the qualifying times for the Rio Olympics for the 1500, the 5k and the 10k. I'd never done a 5k or 10k. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the 1500, obviously I was way, Yeah. yeah. Well, that wasn't, before then I didn't think, obviously I was nowhere near qualifying. Um but I did it, I ran qualifying times for, I think I actually ran qualifying times, certainly for the two events, and then obviously for the last Olympics, I'd qualified for all three. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's amazing what your mind can do when you do get set up yeah. like that, like yeah. how you can just, something just, it's like a switch changes, and, it's interesting. Yeah. And obviously Marcus Jam helps as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just nice, like I obviously, I bring them up all the time, I know <laughs> I probably shouldn't, but I think it's just important that yeah, should, to yeah. have someone, I don't know, it's just that, yeah, someone just to give you that little bit of motivation, and that's why we set up our own little not-for-profit, giving back to track, for yeah. that same thing of just giving someone a little bit of belief, because you don't realise actually what that does yeah. to someone's well, let's, I was, I was going to, I was going to chat them. about giving back to track anyway, but since yeah. we've met, let's chat a bit about that just mm -hmm. now. So what is giving back to track charity? Um, so we have two main sort of pillars of support. The first one is female athletes um, and the second one is community athletics. So female athletes is the age group where a lot of young women drop out of the sports. So we already know that, like there's statistics everywhere that young women drop out from the ages of whatever it's 16 to 21. And it's an age group where you're going through school exams, you're going through puberty, changes in your body, hormones. Um, you're then trying to work out what do you do next? Mm. Higher education, do you go into a job? You're relying on your parents or your guardians, whoever's supporting you financially. And then you just sort of get thrown into this real world. And it's difficult to try and do a competitive sport amongst all that. Like, it's really challenging. So, so many women obviously just... Um, drop out and they, they stop competing and there's also a time I suppose where the body's so stressed a lot of young athletes pick up injuries and niggles and you think well is this worth it do you mean you start to question it um, so we wanted to support that sort of age group the age the young athletes that are not quite good enough to be funded by a governing body or supported by a governing body so they're at that sort of second tier um, or not quite getting the support they need um, so we help them with like a financial grant just to help them get to competitions and races, whatever it is, buy trainers, whatever they need to buy. Um, but they also get full kit. So training shoes, competition shoes and clothes and kit from, from ASICS. Um, just everything they need to be a professional athlete. They get a racing or a, a GPS watch. They get just little bits and pieces yeah. of pretty much everything I would receive as a professional athlete, yeah. trying to give them that same um, package. Um, and then we also have every so often, I've been so busy, I haven't been able to do it as much, but we had some uh, like free webinars with some other athletes that they wanted to speak to. So the girls said to me, they really want to speak to Jasmine Sawyers, who's an Olympic oh, yeah. long yeah. jumper. Um, she has a really interesting career because she has been on The Voice as a singer. She has so many different bits and pieces to her she's not just an athlete she's got a whole lot going on and I think the girls were interested to how does she do that how does she balance things because then it reflects back on them how do they balance exams and work and school mm. and um, so that was really good and we had another webinar with Jess Piasecki who's an Olympic marathon runner but she's also researched into the menstrual cycle oh yeah so again for a lot of the, these young girls they don't have 
people to ask these questions yeah. to because their mum and dad maybe aren't involved in sport or I was lucky like I had my mum I had my dad like they get it they yeah. understand everything about athletics especially my mum being a female athlete um, so it's nice it's almost like a bit of a mentorship as well they have a direct line to me they can speak to me whenever they yeah. want to whether it's injuries whether it's about periods whatever it is it's an open conversation um, underneath that we have a travel grant so we have a smaller fee uh, grant that goes towards just purely travelling to competitions. Um, the British Championships are always in England, um, which, when you're a Scottish athlete, is not easy. Yeah, like it's, not, it's yeah. for some people that's if you're coming from the Highlands and Islands, it's a boat, a flight, a train, a mm. car ride. It's it's not it's not simple. So that was another area that I could see was a, a problem. Certainly within Scotland was just. Um, yeah the geography of being able to get to just a British championship mm. I never had to worry I was lucky I had my mum and my dad who could afford to take me yeah. the length and breadth of the UK to get to events but not everyone's in that situation so that was another area we wanted to target um, and then the community athletics is another avenue that I thought was really important um, again I've never had to I've been in a fortunate position I've never had to worry about the club fees and buying trainers and buying uh, getting access into tracks and gyms and everything that comes with that and athletics is a relatively cheap sport but it's going up and up and yeah. up the prices of tracks and the prices of clothes and running shoes and everything goes up and up so if you're a family who has two kids three kids that all want to do athletics it's not cheap mm. so um my mum growing up uh, came from uh, a council estate and she'll say herself, like, my gran and grand had really struggled. Like, she relied on... There was a coach at her club who effectively would give her second-hand clothes and shoes just to make sure that she could mm-hmm. get to train, get, would, could compete. Um, my mum would run to training. She could never get a car or a taxi or anything like that. And they eventually, I think her coach, paid for a one-way flight to the States and sent my mum on a scholarship. And she didn't even really know about it. Like yeah. They just all chipped together, got a one-way flight. There was no option for my mum. They just sent her and Obviously, it worked out and it changed my mum's mm-hmm. life. Like She is the, the person and the athlete she is today through the generosity of her coach. And she always say that. Harry Bennett was his name and she he passed away when my mum was actually still quite young. Um, but he believed in her. Same sort of thing as me, as I'm saying earlier. Like He believed in her and he told my mum that one day she'd become a world champion mm-hmm. when she was like 16. Yeah. Um, and yeah Michael was the same he relied on there was a, a coach at his club who really helped him out when he was younger with with spikes and and that's pretty much what s- sort of made us set up giving back to yeah. track was that same thing we wanted to just even if it was just one or two kids that got the opportunity to try athletics um, so we set up a bursary at the Dundee Hockley Harriers five bursaries there so there, there's no financial barrier for them to go along to the club join the club, have the track, be part of the, cl- the club system. Um, and then we also have an after-school club in Dundee as well, which is totally free to the junior athletes, to primary school kids. Um, and that's something we're hoping to expand in other areas. So looking at Aberdeen, Glasgow, Edinburgh is like the long-term okay. goal yeah. of having free after-school clubs um, just one day a week. But it has a link to the local athletics club as well. Yeah. So if the kids are really enjoying it and they want to go join the Hawks, they want to go and join Aberdeen AAC, yeah. whatever it is, um, there's no barrier there. There's no financial yeah. barrier for yeah. them taking it up. Um, so yeah, it's a work in progress. We're still working towards it. We only have one club up and running just now, um, but I'm really proud of it. And it gives me something, as I said earlier, something else to focus on yeah. and to put my energy into. And even if it helps one kid, I think it's been worth it yeah. because... I know how athletics has changed my life, but I also know how it's changed my partner, Michael, how it's changed my mum's life, my dad's life. Like, all every single one of us has f- found where we are today through sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important that we, we give yeah, that opportunity now uh, to the next generation. Yeah, absolutely awesome. And it's probably something that you could continue. You know, you've got a, lot, a long career left yet, but it's something yeah. that you can continue doing and continue educating yeah. and continue inspiring all the way through the the year so no it's absolutely awesome so well you've mentioned your mom quite a lot so let's come to there firstly before i ask a question um 
is the only Scottish record you haven't got of hers now the marathon? Yes. You've got them all apart from Yes, that's the only last one. So hopefully that'll be uh, (laughs) soon for your perspective. But just, you know, what I'm sure you spoke about it in length before, but, you know, how how is that relationship where you're, you know, coaching a relationship with your mum? Do you butt heads? Is it not, you know, do you not? Is it a mix of everything? Just how is it being coached by your mum? It's definitely more challenging as a kid because that's just any, like, mum daughter mum son relationship where you go home and you haven't tidied your room and that argument just like follows on into training do you know because you can't get away because you're just you're always together and but my mum was really good at like just completely separating as in when I was at the club I was just another kid that she coached I was never given like preferential treatment or like people would join the club and have no idea that my mum was my mum yeah um, she was just coach Liz and I was just another kid and I think that worked really well because it just I, yeah I, I don't know we didn't ever want it to be difficult at training it was more just me being young and sort of immature that the arguments would go into training if you know what I mean because I'm taking them from me not cleaning my bedroom and not yeah. cleaning the dishes to then it would just carry on for days because you're just angry you're so annoyed you got a row yeah <laughs> do you know, so it's like you're trying to like cause an argument but actually I mean, as adults, like as I've got older and I moved, I mean, I left the house for university when I was 17. Um, I would still see my mum pretty much every day. But when my mum moved away in 2013, there was a big change because I was so used to having her around and being, as I said, every single day I would probably see her. Mm -hmm. So my mum moved abroad, um, yeah, 2013, and that was a big change for, for the whole family. But she knows me better than anyone else. So it's easy, like even now... All our communication is done via WhatsApp. So, like, as soon as I finish a training session, I'll text her through all my splits, Mm -hmm. how I felt, what the weather was like. So it relies on a lot of communication, I think, as a coach from afar. But because it's my mum, it's just, it's very simple. Like, it's really easy. And we don't, we honestly don't, we haven't ever had, like, big, crazy arguments at all. I think, um, it's weird. I feel like we're very similar in certain ways, but we're very different in others. Um, my mum is very like regimented and very highly strung and very like high stress at all times I'm certainly more chilled out Um, but she never had to worry about me like if she'd set the programme I'd do it like there was never every question she'd never have to be like chasing me up to do a run or anything my mum always just let me make my own choices let me do it myself and I think that works really well too because I never felt pressured into doing it at all and I think a lot of people just assume because of who my mum is that there would be this huge pressure and she'd never but like when I went to university I was still running all the time but I was also partying and having a great time at university like everyone else did but not once did my mum ever step in and say like you're not taking this seriously or get back to training or stop coming to training hungover (laughs) on a Saturday morning (laughs) like sending me back home do you know she just would see it, you could tell she wasn't too happy about it, but she would never ever say, you're not doing that. Yeah. It was like, do you know what? You're an adult, you make your own choices. And she always used to say to me, do you know if, if, if you want to do this, you'll come back yeah. and you'll make your own decision on it. And that's exactly what happened. Like I, she let me all throughout university do my own thing. I still trained away, whatever it was, for some reason I still turned up because I wanted to do it. Um, There's something inside me just telling me to keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, but yeah, in 2011, 2012, when I really decided this was it, that's when my mum probably took a real, not a real interest, but certainly more of a, an interest in let's make this training yeah. get you to the Olympic Games yeah. now. Do you know what I mean? Let's really try and knuckle down on this and work together and see how we can get you there. Um, but yeah, my mum's a brilliant coach. I mean, she's had athletes from all over the world now that she coaches, obviously in Qatar, but even at the time when in Scotland, we had a lot of Scottish champions um, within the group and age group record holders and from all events, 800 metres right the way through. Um, we were, yeah, we were a talented group and I think that certainly came from my mum being the coach but also just the environment that was created as well. We all wanted to really work hard but we had fun too at the same time. Mm. It wasn't like a stressful environment. Um, so yeah, it's never been, honestly, it's not been a challenge. I think that people expect mum and daughter to have that sort of coaching 
for it to be really difficult. Um, Jake Whiteman, his dad, it's the same yeah. situation. Yeah. I mean, there's quite a... Lindsay Sharp gets coached by her mum now mm-hmm. and has been coached by her mum in the past as well. So there's a lot of, uh, yeah, parent-athlete, uh, parent-kid, uh, like, athlete-coach yeah. relationships. And um, I think it works just the fact that they know you. Mm-hmm. They know you better than anyone else. They probably know how you think, yeah. how you react, everything like that as well, the small things. Um but no, it's yeah, it's really never been a, a yeah. challenge for us. And that, I suppose that's that's kind of meant you've you've ne- or maybe I have I don't know the full history, but you've never really trained in groups. Mm-hmm. You're more like doing your own. So you think that works? Do you um, do you ever sometimes wish you could jump in, in a group, or how how does that sort of work? So I actually trained in a group. We had a huge group at the Dundee Hockle Harriers yeah. right the way through until um, probably until my mum left. Really, um, 2013, my mum. My mom, my parents split and um, her new husband got a job out in Qatar so it was a big move for my mum to make um, but she didn't really have any options she was really struggling to get a job in the UK because when you've been an athlete your whole life and you don't have the work experience or qualifications what do you do there's no paid coaching roles in the UK for women which um, is ridiculous in like 2022 we don't have a single female uh, on the coaching staff um, so she was in a difficult position of yeah, what do I do? I have this brilliant group in the UK, in Scotland, but it's, she volunteered all her time. Mm. She didn't get paid to do that. Um, so yeah, my mum made the difficult decision to move away. And so the group, to be honest, then just sort of splintered and fractured. And I suppose we were all getting to the age anyway where we were at university. Some people do quit and go and get a job or some people go to different universities. So yeah. the sort of core group that we'd built from the age of 12, 13, we were all adults yeah. now and everyone starts to sort of go their own paths and their different ways. Um, so from then I actually haven't trained in a group. So really that was the only reason to be honest that I moved away and now it really is just me and Michael. We're, yeah. we're together 24 seven and- Michael on the bike. A lot of people find that obviously a little bit strange that you're with your partner 24 hours a day, but it just works for us. Like, clearly, it clearly love, works. I yeah, mean. <laughs> and I mean, I'd love to have, in an ideal world, would I have a group full of people and would I have people help and pace and yes, but it's just not realistic for me. Yeah. It's difficult. Um, the groups in the UK are already set with their coaches, so I would have to completely change my training to fit into another person's group and I just think, we know what works for me, we know yeah. what training works for me, so why change that now? Mm-hmm. Um, if people would join our group then great yeah. by all means but again it's quite a big commitment for we travel so often and we spend pretty much the winter in, in Dubai um, and then the summer at altitude mm-hmm. mainly in France so again it's a commitment for someone else to go we're going to just travel yeah. with the pair of you and be yeah. in different <laughs> locations and away from your family yeah. and friends like it's an unusual lifestyle that we lead but it's one that clearly works for us yeah. and um yeah, I'm very fortunate that we get to do this together. In the past, I was doing it totally my own, mm-hmm. and that was tough. Yeah. Spending five weeks, four or five weeks on a training camp at altitude in a little tiny studio apartment just on my own. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would be just speaking to myself during the day. And I, there was one day I watched, I think I might have watched nine episodes of Game of Thrones back to back to back because I'd gone training, obviously, in between that. But the rest of the day is just doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Even when you're just when I was brushing my hair, I'd just have it on. When I was making my tea, I'd have it on. When I was just sitting in the evenings, I have it. It was just on all day because it fills an emptiness, yeah. doing a, a quietness. Um, and it wasn't really until the pandemic, and Michael's obviously retired now as well. But the pandemic, we decided that we were going to travel together and fully commit to doing this a hundred percent. And it's now when I look back, I think, God, that was really sad just spending all the time on my own. <laughs> and now I'm just far happier having, yeah. essentially, my, my best friend comes with me everywhere we go and we do it together as mm-hmm. a team rather than just doing it solo. Yeah. And it's not until you look back on that, you think, yeah, like the difference it makes being happy and being in a good mindset and in, in, a, in a healthy place. Um, it's a big, big difference. Big, nice. big difference. Awesome. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, you touched on training slightly there. I know that you like to, you're an advocate of lots of cross training. You put mm-hmm. lots of cross training in your yeah. um, your training as well. So you know why 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 is that? Is it because of your injuries? Is it just yeah. you enjoy it, or you know why is it that you're putting so much cross training? Um, I mean, I hate it. I hate cross training. <laughs> okay, so I absolutely not. Definitely not. 
Um, cycling, I just find it super boring. I don't know how people... One, I don't know how people do triathlon because I hate swimming. And then the cycling, I just find it a bit boring as well. So for me, cross-training is just a means to an end. I do it because yeah. I know it keeps me fit and it keeps me injury-free. Um, it really came about 2011, obviously when I had this serious uh, foot fracture and surgery. I started cross-training a little bit then, but not really until 2015 um, when I refractured the foot. I was in so much pain just trying to run was was really challenging. Mm. And um, I used to double day run, so I'd run in the morning, run at night. And once I ran in the morning, it was just so sore even during that. Mentally, I just couldn't, I couldn't get out in the evening to go for a run. So I started cross training um, just on the elliptical or on the spin bike or even aqua jogging in the pool. Um, and I wasn't sure, I'd never really done it before like mm. that, as in I'd done it when I'd been injured, but this was the first time I was doing it as I was sort of not really injured anymore, yeah. if you know what I mean. I was still, I, was, I, sh- I should have been able just to run, mm-hmm. but I wasn't. And I was still keeping in that cross training. Um, and I remember going to my first race of the year. And this was the same time I wrote down, like I was going to qualify for the Olympics for the 15, the 5 or the 10. Didn't care what event, I was doing something. And uh, I did my first 5k of the year and I ran an Olympic qualifying time a PB by like 45 seconds and I remember just texting my mum and she was like what the hell how has this even happened because I was running once a day my mileage was so low I was maybe running 20-30 miles a week it was something ridiculous and yet I'd had this massive improvement um, so that was the first time we sort of thought to ourselves wait a minute maybe this is what works for me maybe I can't be an athlete that's doing all this high yeah. mileage maybe it's just not what my body's capable of doing so from there we just continued on with that path so all of 2016 2017 um, and even into 2018 I was cross training quite a bit and it's only really the last couple of years and all honestly that we've transitioned more into running again so I'm doing higher mileage now running and I think that's why I've got such a big benefit now yeah. on on the roads and on the track because People keep saying, how come you're getting older, but you're still getting faster and stronger. But my actual, when I look back at all the years, one, that I've been injured, because a lot of my early years were injuries. Uh, And two, just the overall volume that I've done. I've gone from like 20 miles, 30, 40. It's been very low mileage compared to people that are running 120 miles every single week. Um, So actually my overall sort of volume and overall load, I feel like I'm only building that up now. And... I think it's made a big difference. I feel a lot stronger, even just in my legs when I'm running. I feel much stronger than I did mm-hmm. in previous years um, because I can take that load now. So the cross training has reduced down quite a bit, but it's still an important part of my program. Um, and I think it's something that I'll always continue to do. I'll always be part, um, just doing it for the the heart and lungs and just reducing the impact. I'm never going to be somebody that's running 120 miles a week. Mm. That's just not going to be the athlete I am. But if I can get closer to 80, um, maybe even 90 in the future, like that would be a really big step forward for me. And that'd be the the goal that I'm sort of trying to move towards. Yeah. Well, I suppose one of the reasons you're probably up in those mileage is because you're looking at making your marathon debut. So you'll eventually get that Scottish record off your mouth. So... London yeah. marathon is this year marathon mm-hmm. debut. So, yeah. how are you feeling? You know, are you excited? Yeah. I'm sure you are. You know, nervous. What? What's it? How are you feeling about the marathon? Yeah, it's a new challenge for me. So, something totally different. Um, I've obviously paced London before. I paced yeah. it twice. I've done the COVID route one year, and then last year I did the actual proper course. Um, and that was really good. It just gave me the experience of feeling exactly what it's going to be like on race day, traveling in with the elites on the bus what you have when you have your breakfast when you arrive there where to warm up just the whole process of it was really good it gave me like um i suppose it eased that sort of nervousness because i know what to expect now um what i don't know is the last half of the race i've only ever been to halfway on that course so for me that's a big unknown and yeah there's obviously going to be a little bit of nerves around that i'm anxious as to will i be able to go the full distance at the pace i want to go at um, but I was anxious when I moved up to the 10k like yeah. I was scared when I moved even to the 5k I always said to my mum I'll never ever do a 5k and then I did a 5k and I said I'll never <laughs> ever run a 10k and then I ran a 10k and I was adamant I would never do a half yeah. and yet I broke the British record now, in now February last year yeah. so like 
my mum's always been really good at just gradually getting me more confident and I think as an adult as well you obviously mature mentally too you start to think as a kid I thought oh god I'll never be able to do that but now it's like half marathon yeah I can do that I'm excited about it I actually still feel there's a lot more to give even at the half marathon distance Mm -hmm. so I feel excited now to get stuck into that and really try and bring that time right down to 65 minutes even if I could get 64 or something I feel that's capable I'm capable of running those sort of times so for me that's the the sort of goal and that will really help the marathon too I think if I can run a good half and nail half then I know that the marathon is is the mm-hmm. next step. Um, I had a few challenges, obviously, with the fueling side of things, getting on gels and carbohydrates, and so that's still a work in progress. We're still not fully, uh, haven't got that fully underlined just yet, but we're making really good progress yeah. with that. Um, long runs are a challenge for me just because I've never really done them before. Mm-hmm. In the past, a long run for me was like 10 to 12 miles, <laughs> so it's been quite a, a shift making my sort of normal long run an 18 mile run now mm-hmm. is it's that's been a little bit strange um but I've enjoyed them a bit more than I thought I used to always hate long runs I used to find it boring but now it's become such I suppose like regular in my week that it just becomes normal to yeah. me um my training has always tended to be longer stuff anyway like I'm more of an endurance based mm-hmm. athlete so the actual sessions haven't changed too much I mean they extended out a little bit more but there's not much change there really it's just the overall volume of everything is just going up now um so yeah it's going to be a challenge for sure standing on the start line of one of the world's greatest marathons it's not an easy one to like go into um I'm sure it would have probably made a lot of other people would think oh start somewhere else but for me London is the one I want to do. Mm-hmm. It's the one that I've watched on TV as a kid. It's the one I've seen in person as a kid. My mum my uh, winning it. My mum coming second, I think, twice as well, maybe third as well. She's done it several times mm-hmm. in her career. So for me, when I think of marathon, it's just London marathon. Yeah. That's just the, what I've always known. Um, and being a British athlete, like it's hard to turn that down as well, mm-hmm. knowing that it's in your own country and everybody in the streets is, is out cheering. Um, there's something special about it so yeah I'm excited by it I'm obviously scared by what the challenge lies ahead but as I said I was scared to do my first ever half I didn't know what to expect so I'm not going in there with like huge ambitions or goals or setting the world on fire I literally just want to go in finish it enjoy it Um, I'd still like to try and I'd still think my mum's time's achievable even on my first one in my debut I still think with the shoe technology we have now yeah. and everything and it's the the difference in um from my mum's day till now I still think I should be able to run that mm-hmm. my mum's time um and I'd like to just be competitive amongst the other British girls like for me that's if I can go in and be competitive around them that's a good starting place yeah. for me and then the following year we make the changes we need to make and we think right this is when we're starting to target right I want to run I don't know, 217, 218, that's the times I want to try and get down to to be competitive, then that's the, a different story. But mm-hmm. for my first one, like I know there'll be a lot of pressure on it and there'll be a lot of high expectations on it, but I certainly don't have those expectations. Yeah. For me, it's just, um, as I said, getting one under my belt, feeling comfortable, going through just the fueling, everything around it is totally different yeah. to anything I've ever done before. So, um, yeah, a new challenge. Well, we're excited, excited to cheer you on. We'll be, we'll be there, definitely. So if you've got any halves yet arranged, you maybe can't say, you maybe don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Is there anything yet in the diary for the build-up? Or? Um, I've had a few change of plans, just uh, a few setbacks over the winter months, Christmas, with just niggles and injuries. Um, so we are not sure what half we're going to do just yet. We're going to postpone it the one we originally I was going to do is just coming a little bit too soon now so we're going to push that back a little bit um so ideally obviously with London being in April the goal now is to try and get a good half marathon in March sometime okay um so now it's just a matter of trying to find which one whether Mm. it's you get a competitive field um or you do a lower key one just to see where you're at we're just trying to work out what what I want to do um or you run with men, or you run with women. Like, there's so many races around, it's just difficult to try and pinpoint what week we want to race, really. Um, but 
London is the priority, so we'll make sure that everything is sort of scheduled far enough out from that or in prime time for London. Um, so, yeah, no races planned just now. I'd also like to try and find a 10K as well. So okay. um, ideally do a 10K, a half, um, maybe one more race and then into into London. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the schedule just now. Um, I feel like we're on path to that. We just had to change plans a little bit over the yeah. last couple of months. Still like three months. There's like three months, I think, we're sitting away from it right now, isn't there? So, yes, yeah. so still plenty of time. We'll go to Altitude um, next week, a little bit earlier than we planned, but I think it's important we just get... For me, I know I respond really well from altitude. I know that I run really well from altitude. Yeah. So um, it's going to be difficult. There's just a lot of snow over there right now. But again, it's a means to an end. It's yeah. really just if I can get that benefit from the altitude and claw back maybe the couple of weeks that we've missed, um, it will be really important just to get out there now and, and get back into... I've got two sort of really full months of training yeah. scheduled. Um, and if we can tick all those off, then we'll race at the end of that and, and hopefully be... Um, yeah, in a good spot when London comes around. Okay, cool. Well, we could be here all night. We could talk all night, but I'm <laughs> conscious that uh, it's been a long day and we're both hungry. Um, <laughs> so we'll start wrapping up. But just you know, some I suppose lighter, lighter hearted stuff uh, I'd like to get on to as well. So mm-hmm. things like obviously your mum's been a key influence, your dad's been a key influence, but mm-hmm. like idols in either whether running other sport, like who who do you look up to now or who did you look up to? You know, is there anyone in, in running? Is there anyone in other sports? Like, how does that look for you? Um, I think within running, certainly as a kid, it was more like Paula Radcliffe was on TV, yeah. sort of during my sort of teenage years. And I just remember watching her at, like, the Olympics and Commonwealth Games and Europeans, and she was breaking all the records and stuff. So it was certainly someone... I suppose I sort of could see myself in her as well, being, like tall and lean and that mm. was just the, the sort of shape and build that I had yeah. that I thought oh maybe I could do that one day and so Apollo was definitely uh, a sort of running idol for me growing up it's weird because I I wouldn't say my mum because I didn't know my mum running do you know like yeah, it was beyond it was before my time so like and my mum never ever made me watch her her races or anything like that. I never she didn't really have saw, a highlight reel. No, I didn't ever see there. anything. So like, honestly, it was only because of journalists that I ever saw my mum's races. Yeah. Um, it wasn't something like we ever did in the house or like my mum would say, oh, but I've run this. Or <laughs> it was just never like that. My mum was always very quite quiet of what she had achieved. Mm-hmm. So really it wasn't until I was like much, much older that I probably started to realise how much of a role model my mum was being a female athlete, everything she achieved. But also the fact that she had me in 1990 and then less than a year later, 91, became a world champion. Yeah. Like she gave birth, she had a kid that was less than one year old and yet she went out to Tokyo and won the world champs. Like mm-hmm. it's it's incredible. And mm. the amount of other women now that come to me and say, other sportswomen actually, um, one of them was a, a female golfer and she said that my mum was like a huge role model to her growing up because she proved that she could have a kid come back and still have a career like still she wasn't just written off and a lot of sponsors back then my mum was was sponsored by nike and they just dropped her straight away because back then i suppose you didn't know like Mm -hmm. women could still uh compete at that high level and my mum proved that you could but i suppose there was always question marks around it whether it was possible or not so certainly my mum now for me is a huge role model showing me that what can be achieved one with hard work and just pure grit like there's nobody else I've come across like my mum. I can't explain the personality she is, the drive she has. I don't know where that was formed, but she's just completely unique to Mm. anybody I've ever met. So she's certainly a role model for me now as an adult. When I look back now, um, yeah, she has a huge influence on on my career. And even as the person I am today, um, in other sports, from other sports, I've never really been able to maybe relate as much because... I suppose you're so involved in athletics, but of course, people like Roger Federer and stuff that are yeah. all-time greats, like you're always going to look up to them. Andy Murray being Scottish. Um, Hi, Andy. Even Murray. watching him the yeah. other day, like <laughs> at the Australian Open, it's there's having people like that, I think, within your own country, you see what they've achieved and how everything they've done, but you know that they come from the same place yeah. as you. And if I, you know I think I mean? as well, that's like, really special. that was great. Like him watching him the other day and his last two, you know, uh, mm-hmm. match it was grit and determination 
that gotten through that. Yeah. You know, and it's I think that to- sort of things you relate to as well. It is, and I think when it's someone, as if it is someone, yeah, British or Scottish mm-hmm. or whatever, it's like you relate to that a little bit more as well because you know they come from mm-hmm. where you're from and you feel it. you can do that as well. You can yeah. channel into that mindset. Um, so yeah, I suppose it's always been people from sports in all honesty that I've sort of looked up to and, and aspired to, to be like. Cool. And on travel, because you've mentioned travel a few times, mm-hmm. your favourite place that you've been, okay. this is either running or non-running, yeah. and what's your dream race? Like which race do you want to do? Apart from London, because that's obviously a big one, but like yeah, favourite places, which race do you want to do? Race-wise, obviously, yeah, London is like one of these bucket list ones. Um, I'm trying to think what other races... It probably would be another sort of big marathon, perhaps. Um, yeah, whether it's maybe a New York or Tokyo. Like, I love Japan. Yeah. absolutely love Japan. And I never really got... Obviously, we had the Olympics there, but we never got the chance to really see Japan. Um, I'm sponsored by ASICS as well, a Japanese brand. Mm-hmm. Like, all the team... Half the team are out there. Um, and there's just such an incredible culture that... I think that for me would definitely be somewhere that I'd like to race again. Whether they host, I think they're hosting the world championships there, mm. maybe in twenty twenty five. Um, so that's somewhere I'd love to be. Whether it's the marathon, whether it's the tanky, whatever it is, I'd love to race again in Japan, um, just to experience the atmosphere. Because we, as I said, yeah, we had we had the COVID stadium, <laughs> so it was just empty, and we yeah. didn't quite. It was a shame, really. They put so much work into it, um, and they didn't quite turn out yeah the way mm. that we had planned. Um, Travel-wise, to be honest, again, Tokyo is somewhere I've been before once uh, for an anti-doping conference. So I was there for like work almost mm-hmm. and I was only there for just, I think it was a couple of days. And um, I tried to squeeze in as much as I could, mm-hmm. really. And I love Japanese food. Um, the people are just so kind, like I've just never experienced anything like it. So I'd love to go back and actually fully see Japan, mm-hmm. not just this little snapshot of just two, the two days we were there. Um and yeah, I'd like to travel with Michael and actually do it properly yeah. and be a tourist. Um, so that's definitely on my to-do list. I've one, I want to see a sumo wrestler in real life. <laughs> I've never seen one. I've watched on TV, and when I was there for the, in 2015, um, I I'd hoped to go along to one of the training sessions, yeah. but it was off on the day they were, no. weren't doing it. The day I was there, so I was gutted. Um, and secondly, I want to do like the little driving Mario Kart oh, they yeah, do around the <laughs> <laughs> so those, And thirdly, there's another thing in Japan I want to see, the snow monkeys. Uh, oh, so there's snow monkeys that sit in like little thermal baths up in the mountains okay. in Japan. So they're my three key like bucket list items nice and one. they all happen to be in Japan. So awesome. I'm going to make it happen at some point. It's just finding the time. I always say we have two weeks off every season. So um, yeah, if it fits in with my schedule, that's definitely the top of my to-do list. Um, but places I've actually been, Egypt was really cool, very chaotic, mm-hmm. um, but there was obviously so much history. Yeah. Um, it was just fascinating, the whole thing. Every temple you went into, every place you entered was just, yeah, really, really fascinating. Um, it's difficult. We've been, obviously, we've been so many incredible places, obviously not culture-wise at all, but the beaches of, like, the Maldives mm-hmm. and stuff is just beautiful. And I would never obviously have a competition in the Maldives. So yeah. we tried to go places that like we're never going to be able to visit through athletics. Yeah. So um, it was nice to just totally switch off. We took my mum and her partner there a couple of years back now. And that was really, really nice. Just spending time as a family, but somewhere that was totally relaxing. And just switching our phones off and just having complete downtime was, was really, really nice. So, yeah, we're very lucky. We've travelled across some incredible places, but... Um, it's hard to pick. Yeah, yeah awesome. It's hard to pick. Awesome. Well, we're almost almost there now. Um, so, <laughs> obviously, we're on the HBHM podcast, and mm-hmm. you've partnered with you now for I think over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, apart from obviously, you, you you know you love the CEO so much. You know what <laughs> what made you um, partner with HBHM? Would you like? I know the Bam's one of your favourite yeah. products. So yeah, how do you, how are you finding that? Um, for me, initially, it was obviously for what you guys as a brand stand for: um, healthy body, healthy mind again just resonates with what I do as a professional athlete um but yeah I think the products again it was CBD was very new to me yeah. um especially within athletics because it's something that in the past obviously hasn't been an avenue that people have looked down yeah. because there's that link with uh 
cannabis and THC and marijuana yeah. and so automatically it wasn't really I suppose a, an avenue for sports people but now that we have this education we yeah. know exactly what it is and that it's not going to get you high <laughs> it's not going to it's not it's actually to aid relaxation to aid muscle relaxation so for me the heat balm has been one of the easiest products to just take yeah. every, we were chatting about this earlier yeah. like it's easy it's small it's in my training bag every single day of the yeah. week um, especially in the UK when it's absolutely freezing. <laughs> well, um, you put it on to warm yourself yeah, up. Yeah, it's just it? nice before, like, especially before sessions. Um, I've been having some, like, shin and calf issues. And again, it's just having a little bit of reassurance that, one, it's helping to warm up the muscle, but it's also keeping it loose and yeah. relaxed. Um, so for me, the balm is just the easiest thing, the, the heat balm, to just whack in my bag yeah. and take wherever I am. Um, it's something, as I said, so small, you can keep it in the kit bag, whether you're going to the gym, wherever you're going. Um, but also now, I think, again, people are becoming more aware of um, the oils and the, obviously the benefits they can have yeah. as well. For me, sleep is a big one. Um, it's weird, I go through phases where certain times of the year, I'm sure it's obviously heightened stress. Mm -hmm. um, heightened stress, whether it's from running, whether it's from whatever else is going on, but for me, sleep is just knocked massively. Yeah. So there's been certain points in my career where I've really struggled with um, insomnia, actually, as okay. well. Uh, really badly in 2000 and... What year was that? Commonwealth Games year. The last Commonwealth Games in 2014. Okay. Um, no, sorry, Gold Coast as well. 18, hi, 2018. Yeah. Um, I really struggled with insomnia. So we travelled out to Australia... Uh, whether it was the jet lag, the stress, whatever it was, and I just had a huge period there where I did not sleep. And obviously that's massively detrimental mm. to, to performance, yeah. but also just to everyday life. Yeah, like, yeah, it's not yeah, very every, fun. Yeah, sleep's okay, and yeah. I wish I'd known back then what I know now yeah. with regards to, obviously, the blue light and switching yeah. off your phones and having a, a cool room and all those sort of things, but also having something there that helps relaxation. So whether it's... Um, yeah just having the the dropper uh, before going to bed yeah. even that is enough to just switch off the mm. mind the body let everything relax and um, i wish i'd known that back then because i don't think i would have gone through those yeah. periods of really struggling and sometimes i'm lucky my sleep is is great and i don't have to worry about it but it's great to have that there just in case mm. as a as an added extra for me especially around traveling jet lag going out to america is is a nightmare for me as well so um, the droppers have really been, again, crucial in just trying to regulate my sleep again, mm -hmm. get me back into a good sleeping pattern. Um, but I think, yeah, the balm will always be my sort of yeah, favourite. favourite. Just an easier, as I said, it's just small and easy Aye, to just take everywhere. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, cool. Well, we're obviously honoured to have you as part of the team <laughs> and uh, uh, really some of your biggest supporters, so wish you all the Thank best. You. And just finally, small, quick, quick tip. So I always like to finish a podcast with your top tips in three areas. So this okay. is from just you in any walk of life. So your top tip for improving performance, top tip for improving recovery, and top tip for improving sleep. So what's your top tip for improving performance? Improving performance. Um, I think the best thing I've done over the years is having a training diary. Okay. Being able to jot down and it allows you to see what works and what doesn't work with regards to your training. Because mm -hmm. ultimately what you do in training is what leads to performance at the end of the day. So you can see the sort of mistakes you've made or maybe just certain things that haven't worked. Maybe you've tried higher mileage and the outcome just hasn't been what you've needed or you've tried a lower mileage and that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's trying to find the balance for you. And I think having a training diary, whether it's online, whether it's written down in, a, in an actual notebook, it gives you the chance to take a step back and look at it all and see, yeah, the areas that work and the areas that don't work. So for me, that... I think having a training diary is, yeah, a key thing, I think, for performance. Cool. Um, and aid in that performance to find what works for you. Yeah, nice one. Okay, top tip for improving recovery. Uh, sleep, by far, is the <laughs> biggest one. Um, I love, like, anybody, if you ask anybody who knows me, they will say that I just hibernate. Like, there's <laughs> been roommates that I've shared with on training camps or at races where they've thought I'm just dead because like it's got to like 1pm in the afternoon and I'm still asleep. But I think that's why I do recover so well from training. And yeah. as I said, when 
I've had bouts of disrupted sleep, it's had such a big impact on my training mm. because I think I am quite sensitive to that. Um, so for recovery, I think it's the easiest thing you can do. It is the cheapest thing you can do. It's just trying to make sure that you prioritise it. It's very easy. I think when you're young, especially, you go, oh, I'll just keep watching this Netflix yeah, show yeah. or I'll just play my game or whatever you're doing. You sort of find time to do other stuff, but sleep's like, oh, I'll get a couple hours and it's fine. And I can see that. I mean, I did that as a student as well, but actually now prioritising sleep the recovery side is yeah. the benefits from that are huge, absolutely well, huge. Well, then that brings me on to your top. Yeah, of I was to say. <laughs> um, something we've already mentioned before, but yeah, the HBHM oils for me. Um, I don't need to take it all the time because yeah. sometimes my sleep is is good, but certainly in those disrupted phases. Um, and again, for someone who travels a lot like yeah. I do, having that it's almost like a way to like get you back into routine yeah. again. Um, I'm lucky that my job is relatively stress-free. Obviously, we're doing a lot, but I can see that if you are working an office job and you're in there nine to five or you're hectic in the hospital, whatever you're doing, you're on your feet all day long, I can see how taking just a little bit of CBD in the evening can really help relax. I mean, if it can help relax me, I've got no doubt it can help relax Mm -hmm. other people and just get into a routine. For me, that's the main thing, getting into routine again. Um... So yeah, it's simple. It's it doesn't take a lot of your time in the evening. Just leave it next to your bed. Yeah, put it in a place where you can make it a habit. Yeah. yeah, because when it becomes a habit, it's very easy mm-hmm. then to become into a routine. Um, I loved reading that book actually recently. I can't remember the name of it. Atomic Habits. Yes, yeah, that was awesome. it. And um, small things like that. Yeah. Just putting it on your bedside table in your bedside drawer where you know you're going to see it. It becomes something you just do every yeah. evening then, and then once that becomes a routine, then you're able to get a good night's sleep. So. Yeah, for me, I think, yeah, HBHM, CBD nice. droppers are, are a no-brainer. Awesome. Well, <laughs> thanks very much. Um, I think that's pretty much, we've, we've covered most things, although there's lots of different avenues you can go into with you. You know, we've only got a certain amount of time. So where's the best place for people to follow along your journey? Instagram? Um, yes, Instagram. Instagram. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Okay. Cool. Not on TikTok because I'm far too old and I'm boring. <laughs> so you'll get it eventually. Yeah, get we're eventually. good on the other channels. Yeah, so we're well, all good to go. Thanks very much for your time, Ailish, and thanks we wish you me. all the very best for 2023 and beyond. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the HBHM podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just a reminder that you can get 15% off at checkout on hbhm.com by putting in the code HBHMPOD. Please share the latest podcast on socials at Instagram. We are at HBHM official and we look forward to speaking to you next time.